Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you. And welcome to another episode of the Review of Religions program here on the Voice of Islam Radio. This is a show dedicated to exploring the fascinating and thought-provoking content of the Review of Religions magazine. The Review of Religions magazine is a long-standing and highly respected publication that was started in 1902 by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, who we believe to be the promised Messiah. The magazine has been providing readers with thought-provoking and insightful content about religion, spirituality, and the wider world for well over a century. On this program, we dive into some of the most interesting and impactful articles from this venerable publication. Join us over the next hour as we explore the rich and varied content of the Review of Religions with in-depth discussions and thought-provoking interviews that will challenge your thinking and broaden your horizons. From theological debates to insightful reflections on the human experience, our program will showcase the very best of this essential publication and bring you closer to the heart of the global conversation about faith, spirituality, and the human experience. So we invite you to stay with us over the next hour on the Review of Religions radio program. My name is Sufyan Faruqi, and joining me, I'm excited to introduce my distinguished co-host, Mr. Zubair Hayat. Assalamu alaikum, Zubair, who is coming on the program today. Thank, thanks for that, Sufyan. I'm really excited uh, today to be on the program with you. Um, for the next hour, I'm looking forward to speaking to members of the team from around the world on the latest, prog- on the latest projects they're working on, including Mr. Shazad Ahmed on the feature article, Mountain Servers Pegs. And then we have Mr. Fazal Ahmed, who has been serving in the Review of Religions for over 20 years. And we're going to discuss with him about the very important series, Places of Worship, as well as his role as section head of World Religions. And then we have Mr. Salman David, who will be talking about the latest online content that the Re- Review of Religions is producing, as well as the very interesting article he wrote on Hajj and how physical acts of worship affect our spirituality. Then we have Mr. Musa Sattar, who will be discussing the new series, Exploring the Flawlessness of Nature. His latest article is on Shocking Wonders of the Electric Eel. So I'm really interested to hear about that. Last but not least, we have Mr. Umar JC, who will be dialing in all the way from Ghana, and he'll be discussing the very innovative projects happening in that part of Africa. Yeah, jam-packed show and a lot to get through. So without further ado, let's go ahead and introduce our first guest on the program today, who is the associate editor of the Review of Religions and also a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, he, in this edition of the Review of Religions, Volume 118, Issue 6, that we're discussing today, uh, he was an integral part of translating a feature article uh, on the fascinating concept that was discussed in the Quran over 1400 years ago and uh, its mountains being the pegs of the earth. It's my pleasure to welcome Mr. Shazad Ahmed here on the Review of Religions program on The Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, Shazad. Uh, how are you this evening? Wa alaikum salam. Peace be upon you all. Just, you know, thank you so much for inviting me here to the studio. I'm feeling very well and uh, looking forward to a very um, interesting episode that we have yeah. with such a great lineup that we have of our guest speakers. I mean, this article that, that you uh, had the opportunity to translate, can you share with us a bit about 
the actual author of the content that you translated and a little bit about him. Sure. So, yeah, I guess that's probably the best place to start. Um, you know, I had the honor of uh, translating uh, an address of the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him. Um, this actually, I mean, in the review of religions, you know, we've been translating uh, many sort of treaties, um, books, speeches and addresses of the second caliph in particular. Um, and, you know, we're always just fascinated by, you know, the, the, the depth um, and variety and, and uh, knowledge that he had. And this is just one example of that. Um, His Holiness was traveling at the time to Kashmir. And as we know, it's a you know very beautiful mountainous area. And whilst looking at the the mountains, you know when Hazur was uh, His Holiness was there, he gave in a, a very short uh, address, but it was a very powerful address that spoke about the the truthfulness of Islam that's witnessed through the the wonders of nature. Mm. And Hazur draws uh, this example from the mountains. He says that we've just passed through these beautiful mountains. And he speaks about it with reference to the Holy Quran, that how the Holy Quran speaks about mountains and the insight and the truth that it mentions, you know, the, how later on with the advancement of knowledge and science, it actually proves the truthfulness of the Holy Quran and how the Quran is filled with such uh, in-depth and beautiful knowledge, uh, yeah. which shows that this is the word of God. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely fascinating. Now, for uh, those of you listening, uh, the the verse of the Holy Quran that was referenced in in this article and by the second caliph at the time the speech was delivered was chapter 78 verse 8 of the Holy Quran which reads uh, the translation of which is and the mountains as pegs now back then Shazad obviously when this was revealed what what makes this so unique is the Quran was revealed over 1400 years ago this is what as a Muslim, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community mentions. It. He says that in the past, people who lacked knowledge and also because of the, the lack of development of science, um, people would sometimes ridicule the teachings of the Holy Quran. And we even see that unfortunately even now as well, the people who are you know lack education, they offer very erroneous interpretations mm. of the Holy Quran. This was also an example of it where people started ridiculing the Quran and saying that it's almost like the Quran is saying that the mountains are like pegs in terms of the way you tether a horse um, at a stake. So almost that the earth is 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 being held together through these pegs when that's not the case. The, when you look at the actual meaning of this verse, it actually proves what today the in the field and the, uh, the study of geologists, they are actually proving that that is the case in the fact that the mountains, they, they do not uh, prevent earthquakes as such, but they definitely reduce the intensity. I'm not a geologist, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't have any expertise in the field of science as such. But if you were to just Google uh, the role of mountains that they play in terms of uh, providing s stability to the earth, especially in, in with respect to earthquakes and providing a, a habitable land, they play a very significant role. And this is the Quran is mentioning this 1400 years ago, as you just very correctly said. Yeah, really interesting, Shazad. Um, just to go back and touch upon the main point of the article, which is the significance of mountain in, mountains in the truthfulness of Islam. 
So can you just uh, talk to us about how it really shows the truthfulness of Islam uh, and the, uh, and one God and how that all ties together in this uh, article? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because exactly this is what Sufyan was mentioning as well, that at the time, maybe people wouldn't have understood this. But as we've progressed with, with advancement of knowledge and science, and it's shown that how mountains actually, not there's two meanings of it. One is that they reduce the intensity of the earthquakes. Also, His Holiness mentioned that the, 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 the crust or below the earth was so hot, they would melt virtually everything. But then through that, it erupts and forms mountains as well. And in that way, it cools the surface of the earth as well. So going back to the verse of the Holy Quran, it, it mentions this, as I said, 1400 years ago, at a time when people didn't even have that knowledge or the advanced study in terms of the the, the, the the equipment that we have, the technology that we have, the expertise that we have of geologists and in the field of that to look at the the study of the earth and geology. But they're proving today that how the words of the Holy Quran stand true. And these the Quran is filled with such verities and truths. This is just one example of it. And how was a Muslim or the second caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, just as he was passing through, he saw the mountains and he mentioned this and said that how the Quran actually proves this. It's a it's a verse that's so small, like chapter seventy eight verse eight, and it's one that had never really caught my attention until I picked up this edition of the Review of Religions magazine and read this article, and it and it led me personally to go and do more research. Like you were mentioning, you know, geologists have discovered this in recent years, and I was researching this topic after reading the article and was amazed to find that there's actually a textbook called Earth. And is is now on the market. It's a textbook by an American author, Mr. Frank Press. And he was the former advisor to President Jimmy Carter of the USA. And this author likens mountains to wedges, the greater part of which remain unearthed, uh, under earth, the, under the surface of the earth. In his book, Dr. Press explains the function of mountains, drawing special attention to their important role in stabilizing the crust of the earth. And this is exactly, exactly Shazad, the what, what the Quran talks about when it refers to a peg, isn't it? Absolutely, exactly. This, that, and the Quran, this is just one example of it. Mm. The Quran is filled, as you said, there are so many verses. And sometimes we read it and we don't even ponder over it and we just sort yeah. of just pass by it. But each and every verse of the Holy Quran is filled with such verities and insight. And as Zubair mentioned as well, that is through these that we can prove the fact that this book was revealed, which was revealed to the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was indeed from God, who was almighty and all-knowing. Um, and the, the truths and verities that we mentioned, they, they stand the test of time. Even now, all the discoveries that are being, men, be, that are being done through the, in the field of science or technology or any other discipline in life, we find that it goes never contradicts the Holy Quran. And the promised Messiah, may peace be upon him, the founder of the Ahmadi community mentions this. And the second caliph makes reference to that. And he says that this is a principle that has been laid forth. And that's the way we study the Quran as well. That the Quran is the word of God and science is the action of God. And therefore, there can never be any contradiction between the two. There's always harmony between the two. And I just want to mention, because I know, obviously, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a whole lineup of guests here. So at the end, His Holiness mentions a very, very powerful point. 
And he says that we should take inspiration from this to further our study and research in the Quran itself, but also in the field of science and other disciplines of life as well, um, and to excel in that and to show the truthfulness of Islam. And he says, and I just want to quote here, and he says that, and, and Azul places this responsibility on the youth, and particularly on the youth of the community. And he says that whenever, you know, in, in the past, the, the Muslims made great advancements in the field of science and other disciplines as well. And he said that they, they progressed. But he said whenever the, the future generation feel that whatever our elders did was enough and they sit you know, idle, that's when a nation becomes stagnant and they no longer make any progress. And he says, and I just want to quote, he says, in short, whenever the youth and the next generation of a nation assume that the elders have achieved everything there was to do and there is nothing left for them, then they face ruin and destruction. And then he, His Holiness says, it is the duty of the future generation of any nation which seeks to succeed that they make progress in every aspect and discover new knowledge so that the nation does not remain stagnant and face ruin and destruction. Unbelievable. Absolutely amazing. And it's amazing that that was the exact question that I was going to ask you about why His Holiness, the second caliph, uh, talked specifically to the youth and drew the youth's attention to ponder over over these type of things. So, uh, Mr. Shazad Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us here on the Review of Religions program on the Voice of Islam Radio. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure having you on, talking about this article in the uh, issue 6 of volume 118, uh, of the Review of Religions magazine, which uh, can be read by you at home if you have a copy of uh, this edition. Zubair, what a fascinating, fascinating yeah. uh, and insightful article uh, for our readers to look up in in the Review of Religions magazine. Yeah, I think it was really, really interesting talk with Shazad there. I mean, from the article itself, and I just you know, I was thinking when he was speaking as well that you know, it's it's really easy nowadays to find new new discoveries and new inventions. But if you think about it, these uh, uh, truths that Shazad was speaking about in the Holy Quran was fourteen hundred years ago from a small town in Arabia. So uh, that shows the divine uh, uh, nature of the Holy Quran, and that also shows the truthfulness. and And uh, it's a really amazing article to read, uh, a translation, and uh, just to, to listen to Shazad. And you know, we could have spoken for you know hours about this topic, but it was really, really interesting. Yeah, this this topic is fascinating, and I invite our listeners to pick up a copy of the Review of Religions magazine. The cover is beautiful as well, and this article is featured as "Mountains, the Pegs of the Earth." For those that want to look it up, uh, moving right along we go from mountains which uh, may have been interesting to learn and our listeners would be even more interested to know that it was actually a mountain that served as one of if not the first place of worship for the prophet of islam in the cave of hira where he went to meditate and whatnot and we are now uh pleased to introduce and talk to uh, talk about rather places of worship with Mr. Fazl Ahmed, who is the Review of Religion section head for World Religions. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Review of Religions program here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Walaikum salam, peace be on you. Now, it's I was uh, really excited to have you on the program because you have a lot of history with the Review of Religions, with over 20 years with this uh, magazine, and you've seen it evolve. And tell us a bit about how the magazine and your section in particular has evolved over over the years. So I actually started in 1993 in the review. I've been serving 
it for 30 years. And uh, when we started, um, the, the magazine had a relatively modest um, readership. And uh, in the first five to 10 years that I was involved, um, there was a push to try and get the readership expanded uh, around the world. Then we've seen in recent years the growth of different languages. So we have a German edition, we have a French edition, we have a Spanish edition. You know, when I, I spend a lot of time, I'm fortunate, I, I spend a lot of time serving in Africa and I see the impact of not just the English edition but the French edition for Francophone countries like Burkina Faso where suddenly it's opened a whole new vista for them. Uh, I also serve in Humanity First and five years ago we opened our new hospital in Guatemala and at that event we launched the Spanish edition of the Review of Religions and I was handing out to guests who had come not just from Guatemala but from Honduras, from Puerto Rico, from Colombia, from many, many countries and they were amazed. You know, they, these were topics that they'd been yearning for. You know, there just wasn't the literature available. So it's, it's opened a whole new world to them as well. These are the big changes. And then more recently, the multimedia side, which I'm getting too old for this, but, you know, the website, the socials, it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, um, Mr. Fuzzle, I don't want to make you feel old, but you said you started in 1993, so that was when I was three years old. So just wanted to mention that. Um <laughs> But moving on to the place of worship section, it's really, really interesting. I'm the designer myself, so I can see every single month um, how there's so many different places of worship around the world that I you know, don't even know of myself, different churches, synagogues, uh, mosques, really, really beautiful um, uh, place of worship around the world that we uh, put in the magazine. So do you want to discuss about uh, the place of worship, how that's developed and why that's such a key aspect of the uh, monthly edition? So... It's interesting. I mean, this month we're covering the um, the Jubilee Synagogue in the Czech Republic. And the article talks about not just the architecture of the synagogue, but the history of what happened to the Jewish population in Prague through the Second World War, how they recovered, how they've uh, recovered the use of the synagogue. But actually, this topic, if you look at recent months, mountains keeps coming up. And actually, mountains... If you look at spirituality, mountains are pegs for spirituality and religions. You mentioned about uh, Hira and the mountains in Makkah where the Prophet of Islam uh, used, to, uh, used to ponder in the caves and to communicate with his creator. In the same way, if you look at places of worship that we've covered recently, Shatranjaya, and I have many, many Jain friends. In fact, in Oman, uh, I, I was I met a lot of Jain friends, and they were shocked at that we were covering their religion in the review of religions. This is a mountain range in India, in uh, Palitana, and uh, it's very special for the Jain community. And we covered this in places of worship. So high up in the mountains, they have uh, they have many, many temples and uh, and shrines and the mountain is called uh, Mount Shatranjaya which means place of victory for them the victory is not a victory a battle it's a victory over their daily distractions it's a it's like in Islam they talk about the greater jihad combating your ego and and those things it's the same for Jains so Shatranjaya is one uh, that we covered in the same way Batu Caves in Malaysia, 
I've climbed up there. It's too, you know, it, uh, believe me, by the time you get up to the top of Batu Caves, you're exhausted, but then you're in hollowed out caves where they've built temples inside. That was 272 steps. Do you know how many steps it is to Shatranjaya? 3,000. And, wow. and pilgrims from around the world, from the Jain community, go there. That's just another example. Meteora, we covered the monasteries in Greece. And there, again, it's high up on top of these rock formations, 600 meters high. But why are they there? Yes, there was security. So the um, Greek Orthodox monks needed security. So they went on, they built monasteries on top of these huge mountains. But it also allowed them to contemplate away from the drudgery of daily life. And these are just a few examples. There are many, many, many more where mountains act as pegs for religion. Really, really interesting um, to hear about that, uh, Mr. Fuzzle. But one thing I wanted to ask, one thing that came to mind is, how do you research this topic? Because it seems like you've got so many different interesting places of worship. But, but where do you find this information, this, this, this golden information from? So I travel a lot, even for work. I, I run a business building hospitals in Africa and Asia. Um, and with Humanity First, I travel, uh, you know, doing uh, development work in many of these countries. And while I'm there, I always do my research. I visit places and, and you know, that, that's how I enjoy it. So I was in Ivory Coast and on the way back from running a medical camp, they said, you must stop at Yamasukro. <laughs> I said, what's there? They said, we've got a basilica. And I said, I've seen lots of basilicas. This place is a carbon copy of the Vatican in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa. It's bigger than the Vatican. You need a lift to get to the top. The dome is 160 meters high. It's just stunning. Mm. So I come across lots of these while I'm traveling. Really, really interesting. Um, that's, that's fascinating. Um, Sufyan? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing correlation you've made there with the first guest that we had, Mr. Shazad, with the, the pegs and mountains and how you've talked about it in a spiritual context. One last question before we move on to our, our next guest. We've got a jam-packed show here on the Review of Religions program here on the Voice of Islam Radio is why is these places of worship so important uh, to our readers of the magazine and of our online content? So we've always been taught that, uh, and the Quran mentions this, that uh, you should show respect for other faiths. And you should show respect for faith, whether they're worshipping God or idols, whatever it is, you shouldn't show disrespect. So if we do the research and show respect for places of worship for different faiths, not just traditional faiths, but I also include what we now call mythology. There are many, you know, the Quran says that we send you know, messengers to every tribe and every race. The, the, the Quran mentions, what, 26 prophets? It doesn't mention Lao Tzu. It doesn't mention Confucius. It doesn't mention Socrates and so on and so forth. And there are many, many more. So if you travel, you start to see hints of God's presence, even in faraway communities that you wouldn't expect it. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Fazal Ahmed, uh, section head for World Religions uh, of the Review of Religions magazine. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have three more guests to speak to. Uh, so stay tuned to the Review of Religions program here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Al-Qadr The Powerful 
the one who has both power and authority over all his creatures. It is Allah who created you in a state of weakness, and after weakness gave strength, then after strength caused weakness and old age. He creates what he pleases. He is the all-knowing, the all-powerful. Welcome back to the Review of Religions program here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Before the break, we were joined by Mr. Shahzad Ahmed, who talked to us about a fascinating article around mountains being the pegs of the earth. And then we talked to Mr. Fazal Ahmed, who is the section head for the World World Religion section of the magazine and has been doing an interesting series uh, over uh, many years uh, talking about different places of worship. We are now joined by Mr. Sarmat Naveed, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and online editor for the Review of Religions magazine. Assalamu alaikum, Sarmat. How are you? Wa alaikum salam. Alhamdulillah, doing well. How are you? Great. Good to have you back on the program. This this time we're talking about an article that you've recently published in the magazine around Hajj and the connection between the spiritual and the physical. How do physical acts of worship affect our spirituality? Now, let me start off by asking you, are there any modern day studies that can help show the natural connection between one's physical state and the soul? Well, it's interesting you ask that because the sort of the premise of the article uh, is to show how uh, there is an inherent connection, uh, according to Islam, between uh, physical act and your inner state, or vice versa, your inner state being reflected uh, in physical act. And there's been a recent study, a uh, relatively recent study, that was, uh, it was actually a global study that was spearheaded by the, uh, Stanford University. And what they did was basically, uh, with about, I think, 3,800 uh, people who part, uh, took part in this study, and they basically tried to see whether sort of faking a smile had any impact on uh, a person's feelings, whether they felt any happier, whether they felt any more relaxed. And in, it's interesting because the study finds that a lot of the people, the respondents in this study, you know, after going through various exercises and whatnot, that they came back with the response that even just putting a smile on your face, whether it's genuinely there or not, but the simple act of putting a smile on their face made them feel more positive, made them feel more happy. Now, conversely, if they were to put a scowl on their face, whether it was genuinely, you know, that was their feeling or not, just because uh, of the act of having that sort of physical appearance uh, on their face, made it so that, you know, they felt negatively inside, whether it was anger or sadness or whatever the case might be. So it's interesting that even now, you know, there's that saying, fake it till you make it. Well, in a sense, you know, putting a smile on your face, uh, this study shows, it does actually naturally change your, you know, inner state. Now, that's not to say that's the end-all and be-all cure to sadness or whatever the case may be. But there's a very palpable difference, which is beyond just the placebo effect of putting a, a smile on your face uh, and having it impact your in, inner, uh, you, know, you know, your inner state, which just goes to show that there is a very, you know, fine and very deep connection between what we physically express and what's in our soul. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm trying to put a smile on my face right now as you're talking. Um, but I just wanted to uh, mention a small point. Well, not a small point, but a, a main point in your article, uh, which is about prayer. And uh, you've written in your article about the connection between the physical acts of prayer and also, you know, the benefits that you gain from prayer. And a lot, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I know say, oh, why can't we just pray without doing the physical acts? Why can't we just think about God or think about things in our lives? So can you just talk about the connection between physical actions in prayer and how that affects you? For sure. So, you know, you think about it, it goes two ways. It could be that, your physic- that what you're doing physically impacts your soul. Or what's in your soul naturally emanates with a physical expression. You know, if you, if you feel excitement or joy, you know, you have this innate desire to just sort of jump up, you know, leap for joy, right? Why? Is, it's, not, it's not because, you know, it's not just something random. It's something that just compels you to do it. Or if you're feeling, you know, a great deal of sadness, for example, sometimes you're just compelled without, you know, almost uncontrollably, you, you, you know, whether you're going to shed tears or whatever the case might be. So, the other hand, though, you know, for example, when it comes to prayer, one of the, uh, you, you know, establishing fervency in prayer, let's say, you know, which is, you know, weeping in prayer. This is something which, you know, uh, Muslims who you know, strive to achieve that connection with God, that, you know, deep level of prayer, they'll try to weep in prayer. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, the Thomas Messiah, uh, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, peace be upon him. And even currently today, when asked, you know, uh, these same questions about establishing fervency in prayer, the current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, he is also sort of given this, you know, this method that if it's not naturally happening, let's say, even if you make a face that is sort of resembling, you know, crying, then those emotions will naturally well up inside of you. And so there's a synergy between the two. So now, if we're talking about prayer, for example, there are some, you know, prominent positions in prayer. Let's say when you're standing upright. You, if you are going to someone of great eminence, of great respect, and you are, you know, honoring them and the, the grandeur that they have, you know, it's, it's respectful to, st- to stand up straight and upright. It's a, it's a sign of a form of respect. And in the same way, when we're standing in prayer, we're saying all praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the world that there is none worthy of worship except God, that He has power over all things, that He is the gracious, that He is the merciful. We are glorifying God. We are in the presence of this, you know, wonderful, amazing, omnipotent being. So naturally, you stand up straight. But then there's another aspect to that as well, that if you are declaring these things, you know, you want to be firm, you want to be resolute. And so the promised Messiah, peace be upon Him, He says that, it's also a symbol of just as you're, you know, you're declaring these things about God and you're standing upright. It's a, it's a form to show that so too does your soul stand upright, resolute, and firm. And then when you bow down, you're saying, holy is my Lord, the most great. So you know that thing that I was just mentioning, when there's just this feeling that wells up inside you and just naturally constitutes some sort of, uh, of a reaction. When you are glorifying someone who is so mighty, so great, that you can do nothing but bow before them, right? And that's the corresponding connection. And then when you're in prostration, when you're down on the ground, your, your head is touching the ground, your nose is touching the ground, it's the most humble state you can be in, in a sense. And yeah. what are you saying at that time? You're saying, holy is my Lord, the most high. It's to show that, that reverence, that respect, that there is none higher than this being. 
and then there's none lowlier than me. And so just naturally sort of you go down into prostration as you gradually, you know, progress to professing more and more the greatness of God Almighty and worshiping him. You know, you, it's that, you know, uh, expression of humility. So these are natural states which, sure, you know, one could say that, well, why can't we go about without them? But at the end of the day, Islam is a, is a religion which concords with the human nature. And the human nature is in Islam. And it is human nature to somehow, sometimes require those physical aids, you know, to get that uh, in that same spiritual mindset. And so Islam is not, you know, uh, ignorant to that. Islam completely recognizes the fact that there is this natural bond between what we physically do and how we feel. And so this is one of the main reasons why we have these physical actions uh, in our in our daily prayers. Yes. So before we let you go, just to bring it back to the article in the copy of the Review of Religions magazine, uh, volume 118, issue 6, uh, talking about Hajj. Now, as an uh, as somebody on the outside looking in, you see a bunch of Muslims going, uh, walking circles around uh, a cube, which we call the Kaaba, and you walk around it a number of times. So you've talked a lot about the Islamic prayer and how that kind of the physical connects with the spiritual. Can you talk a little bit about the actions in Hajj, the circling of the Kaaba, the walking between the two mountains, you know, running back and forth, and what what the physical and spiritual connection is there? So again, I think it's important to understand, especially when it comes to Hajj, what it is that the Holy Kaaba, the principal mosque in Islam, what it represents. And that mosque is the primary symbol for the unity of God on earth. That is the same place where the unity of God was established on earth. So when you're circling around the, the Holy Kaaba, you're not circling around an object. Otherwise, why come to Mecca? Why come to this specific place? You can sort of say, why, why are there pilgrimages everywhere? You know what I mean? If, it's, if all it is is just circling around a physical object. But it's the intention with which one goes to that place. And, you know, that spirit in their mind that I am not circling around this object by any means. It's this expression of love for the unity of God for which, you know, you're circling around this. And even, you know, the black stone, uh, the cornerstone of the, uh, of the Holy Kaaba, which, you know, uh, traditionally people will kiss. And this is something, you know, which we find from the tradition of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But again, it's interesting, and it's easy to understand this concept from something which uh, the second caliph of Islam, uh, Hazrat Umar, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, said. When he was kissing the black stone, he said that, you know, you can't benefit me, you can't harm me. You're literally just a stone. The only reason I'm kissing you is because I saw my beloved master, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, kissing, kissing you, the black stone. And again, it was only, why? Because the black stone was considered to be a sign of God, a representation of God's might, of God's power, of God's glory. So again, it has nothing to do with the physical objects, even you know, running between the two mountains, Safa and Marva. You know, when we you know, go back into the history and we learn about how Hagar, the wife of the prophet Abraham, uh, peace be upon him, you know, ran between those two mountains. And it was after that, that a beautiful manifestation of God's power came into play, which is a stream under the, you know, which is of Zamzam, which is still there today. So again, these are all things symbolic, which all come back to 
the unity of God, first and foremost, and most importantly, and then an expression of love for that unity. It has nothing to do, nor is it limited to those physical objects, but it goes so far beyond. And, you know, in essence, when you are, you know, fulfilling those rites of Hajj, those physical objects, though they may denote and demark, you know, uh, where a certain rite may be taking place, it's never towards those physical objects or never with those physical objects in mind that, you know, one is undertaking those rites. It's always ultimately uh, with God in mind that one undergoes uh, the rites of Hajj. Mr. Sarmat uh, Naveed, thank you so much for joining us. You are the uh, missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and online editor for the Review Religions magazine. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Review Religions program on the Voice of Islam radio. We are going to go from Hajj to into the animal kingdom now and learn a little bit about the electric eel, something that the Review of Religions is doing as part of a new series where we explore the flawlessness of nature. And it's our pleasure to welcome assistant manager and deputy editor of the science section for the Review of Religions, Mr. Musa Sattar. Assalamu alaikum, Musa. Electricity in the water sounds almost contradictory. The electric eel is a fascinating animal, isn't it? Welcome, Sam. Um, peace be upon you, Brother Sufyan. Thank you for having me. And uh, yes, definitely, uh, electric eels, electricity in uh, in the water is really fascinating, and that's why we um, we tried to cover this in in our feature uh, in uh, in this series to um, basically uh, let the readers uh, think about uh, how. Um, how these wonderful creatures of uh, um, in 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 the water can uh, perform this uh, unique uh, feature of uh, producing electricity? Yeah, it's it's an amazing uh, series. I mean, last time you were on the program, we were talking about spider webs and the intricate detail that God has put into the spider, and now we're talking about the electric eel. I mean, what? What is it that we are trying to achieve by from this series in exploring nature? So and the, the reason for this series that we, we, we have just started is that uh, uh, we basically, in our daily lives, uh, we forget to um, appreciate the wonders of nature, the, the everyday, the, the, the basic things that we, ha- we see or uh, the, crea- the creatures um, uh, surrounding us, giving the beauty of this, uh, uh, to this um, earth, uh, to this world. Um, and uh, uh, we, uh, the, uh, we want to uh, identify uh, who, who the creator is for this, uh, um, uh, who has created this fascinated, mar- mar- marvelous uh, creatures. I was reading in the um, article that you wrote, Musa, that yeah, the electric eels can be over eight feet in length and weigh more than four, 44 pounds. So it is really amazing uh, and somewhat scary to uh, learn about these creatures. But when you think about it in the totality of the whole world and the universe, and you see how God is creating uh, these marvelous creatures, and it links to also Shazad's article about uh, mountains, that it does show the truthfulness of Islam. So I think that's really, really interesting. So how how do you see uh, this series showing the truthfulness of Islam? Yeah, so uh, basically when when we read the Holy Quran, it's Allah Ta'ala in the Holy Quran says that uh, uh, he, he is limit, uh, limitless, and... Uh, um, 
in in certain occasions and in certain uh, places, it says that uh, um, uh, eyes eyes cannot reach him uh, his limit, but he reaches the uh, the limit. And uh, so, uh, reading um, about electric eels, um, we we say that uh, I mean. If you look at the, um, the, I mean, until recently, it was said that uh, uh, um, the, the biologist doesn't even know uh, the, the full potential, the full power of the electric eels. And in a recent study published by Nature, it says uh, that uh, now uh, they have discovered that it, uh, it uh, basically um, is the most powerful uh, animal in the uh, electrical. Um, um, electrically powered animal in uh, in the world but it it produces around 860 volts um and uh, so uh, we we think that uh, why should the fish brain appear to perform this unique uh, feature of electric, electronic engineering yeah it makes it makes it it's it's absolutely fascinating the electric eel and how it works i mean you alluded to a, a battery pack in the article as well uh, musa and and it was just amazing i mean i encourage all of our readers to take benefit of this interesting and fascinating series about exploring the flawless flawlessness of nature and it brings one to the realization that in fact there is a god uh, Mr. Musar Sattar, Assistant Editor and Deputy Editor for the Science Section of the Review of Religions, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to go straight uh, down to Africa now and talk to uh, Mr. Umar Jaisi Sahib he is the coordinator for Ghana and a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Assalamu alaikum Mr. Omar, uh, how are you? And how's the weather in Ghana these days? Wa alaikum as wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm really fine. I hope you guys are uh, doing well as well. Uh, I think the weather here, it's okay for us. It's a bit uh, cold and not as cold as in the UK. Uh, it's actually quite warm here in the UK these days. Uh, we're, we've been fortunate to get some sunshine. So you are... Uh, part of the Review of Religions team, specifically around distribution. And Ghana has uh, had a huge impact in, in, when it comes to the Review of Religions and what you guys do each and every month. Uh, you guys are doing a lot. What has the impact been of the Review of Religions magazine in Ghana? I've heard recently that you guys are now even giving copies of the Review of Religions to each and every member of parliament in your country, which is just amazing. So talk a little bit about the impact that the Review of Religions has had in Ghana. Well, brother, for that question. Uh, the Review of Religions has been part of uh, Ghana since the 90s, if I would have to put that, because... Uh, the review of religions played an important role in bringing, you know, uh, Islam media to Ghana, and this also alludes to the fact that they were mentioning they were talking about, you know, uh, God Almighty, and Allah the Almighty, in His own wisdom, giving someone a dream and then getting an address through the review of religions, guided the whole of Ghana to Islam, Ahmadiyya. So it is how wonderful God Almighty was. The review of religions has been with us for all those while, and even got to a point where. Uh, the magazines were printed here in Ghana for the locals here, uh, so it was taken back uh, just recently. Uh, <clears throat> the review of religions in Ghana here recently has seen about uh, uh, about 200% increment in the number of subscribers because we took it from 1,000 and it's now around 3,220 by the grace of Allah. And um, uh, 
the target is to reach 4,000 this year, and then uh, most probably within a span of five years, uh, reach the 10,000 subscribers uh, mentioned by the Promised Messiah, and this is our goal in the next few years. So, uh, as you rightly mentioned, yes, uh, we also give copies of the review of religions magazines to uh, the parliament, uh, the parliamentarians in Ghana. And alhamdulillah, we've, we've received good feedback from them. And then if they don't get it on time, they even complain, which is a good sign for some of us. And then uh, we are reaching about 40 zones in Ghana here. Uh, more than 40 zones in Ghana here, and then we are really working to um, make sure that our books or the magazines get to the subscribers within time. And so we are really uh, doing our best to achieve that target. And some of the activities, as you mentioned, that uh, the Review of Religions Ghana, I mean, is copying whatever the RRR in the UK is doing. We are doing our best to copy well. And so during the Jalsas as well, we also mount uh, our exhibition centers, we set it up. And then recently, we had a Jalsa in January, and we set up an exhibition center. And we were very fortunate that Damir and missionary in charge of Ghana visited our exhibition. And then he was accompanied by the vice president of Ghana. And then he was very pleased to see uh, how the Review of Religions has set up um the exhibition and also the theme for the exhibition was to introduce people to the review of religions because uh the magazine has been with us for a very long time but as to what the magazine is who started the magazine it was important uh, to orient people about this issue and so that is why we set up the exhibition we also make sure that we exhibit some of our magazines during the and then Ansarola Itima. We also participate in public works uh, with uh, Ansarola, and then we've done that uh, twice with uh, Ansarola, and it has been very, very fruitful because we've had some good feedbacks and uh, calls from people asking questions about what uh, we, we share, because usually we share flyers as we go to the work with uh, Ansarola, so they ask questions about our, uh, sorry, about the topics that we have captured on these articles. Not, not that alone, last year in uh, JALSA, we also had a studio discussion on MTA Ghana. I mean, regarding the review of religions uh, in Ghana, we actually had two good segments, one for uh, the men and then one for women, where we allowed the women to also talk about Parada and how the review of religions has impacted their lives, you know, reading it and how it has guided them to Allah the Almighty and then guided them uh, on how important to wear the hijab and to be free as a lady to practice uh, Islam without any, I mean, uh, restrictions. We have bookstores as well in the universities and then inshallah very soon. I mean, on Thursday, we are going for another bookshop, bookstore in one of the universities in Ghana. And so, alhamdulillah, we are doing all these things to make sure that uh, the people of Ghana actually have the feel of the magazine started, that, started by the promised Messiah, because yeah. that was the main reason that people should get to know about the magazine. People should read the magazine and get the message uh, that he is bringing to mankind, and so we are doing our best uh, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, Other than that, that's, yeah. that sounds amazing, Omar. I mean, all the um, activities that you're you're up to in Ghana, um, really promoting uh, the magazine, um, is really really fascinating and really amazing, and uh, well done for all that work. Um, one question I have is that 
Um, what's the uh, some of the feedback that you've got from uh, individuals? Because obviously here in here in Europe and in the UK, we know uh, on the ground what the situation is and how many people read it, the kind of articles they read and the feedback. But what what is the situation there in Ghana? Um, and just off topic, uh, I was in the Middle East recently um, and I met uh, a man that worked in one of the shops uh, in Dubai and he was from Ghana. Uh, and we we were talking, and he we quickly went on to the topic of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and he knew exactly who the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was and the history. So it really feels like people from Ghana, especially um, around the world, really resonate with the message of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and the Ahmadiyya community. So how has the the feedback been um, from the magazine in your in your local area? Yeah, I think. Uh... It has been positive so far because, uh, <clears throat> as uh, you, you are all aware, that uh, when it comes to the matter of religion, uh, Africans, in one way or the other, receive it more than, uh, I mean, uh, the West. And so, when you talk about religion, you have a lot of people, you know, yeah, having the intention to get uh, to get into. I mean, they want to know more about your religion. They want to listen more. Yeah. What is the message that you have for them? So it has been positive so far. And with the review of religion, it is amazing because uh, we we have, uh, as I mentioned, we give it to parliamentarians. And also, just recently, there was a program with uh, Catholic bishops. And so we also gave some of the copies out to these bishops. And uh, it was wonderful and amazing how they commented on it. Some of them even uh, got angry at our missionaries because uh, they were not receiving their their monthly magazines on time. So it is very, very positive. But uh, one, one other thing that uh, I would also want to add is that, uh, you know, reading generally in Ghana here, uh, it is a problem. I don't know about the West. In Ghana here, it is a bit of a problem. And so uh, last year, when I had the opportunity of uh, meeting beloved Huzur, I asked, I asked him about this, and then he mentioned, he simply said, I mean, if reading is a problem, then you should try audio. That is what Huzu said. He said, audio will do well for the people of Ghana. And so we started audio articles. We read the text in English and then also translate it into four different local languages. And alhamdulillah, this has been very, very, very effective. And then people are really appreciative of the, of the, of the fact that they get to understand or they get to know more about the magazine, or they get to hear the uh, the message of the Prophet Alayhi Salam, or the message of the Khulafa uh, in their local language. Someone uh, wrote something to me. He said, "I listened to the Chi audio, and it was cool. I think it's a good initiative for us who don't like to read that much. Mm-hmm. So it was serving those, I mean, who couldn't read English at all, and it was also serving those who couldn't, you know, who don't like to read that much. So it is a blessing of." Khilafat, and then the Prophet that people are really appreciating the message. And so the intention now is to even uh, go on podcasts so that people could listen to us live discussing the whole magazine, and then maybe it might also be in the local language as well, because people would want to hear the message of the Prophet in their own language as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And you've literally just answered the next question I was going to ask you about what you're doing as far as audio, because I've heard a lot of uh, great stories about uh, Ghana doing audio articles and the success that it has had there. Uh, One final question before we let you go real quick. Uh, Why should any listener out there to this program subscribe to The Review of Religions? Well, well, that is, uh, um, I think, each and everyone to subscribe to the review of religions because number one 
we need to spread the message of the promised Messiah and as the promised said that uh, it is very very important for the the members the jamaat who have done bayat at the hands of the promised to subscribe to the review of religions magazine and also for readers who are not muslims i entreat each and everyone to read about the review of religions because right from the first page of the Review of Religions magazine, you get to know that it speaks about different religions, right? You have articles, let's say, sorry, not articles, like when it is talking about salvation, it talks from salvation from the Christian perspective, from the Islam perspective, from the Judaism and other religious perspectives. So it means that it is uh, a magazine that says the purpose of sending the message of the Prophet to the community and also the message that the world needs to know, the knowledge that people should get, it is also sending that message to people who do not belong to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And so it is very, very good for each and every one of us to subscribe to the review of religion. Mr. Omar Jassi, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you are the coordinator for the Review of Religions magazine in Ghana and also a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Review of Religions program on The Voice of Islam Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure having you on. Uh, from all of us here at the Review of Religions program on the Voice of Islam studios, we thank you so much for joining us. We've had a jam-packed show. Started out with Mr. Shazad Ahmed talking about uh, mountains and how they are the pegs of the earth. We then talked to Mr. Fuzzle Ahmed the section head for World Religions talking about places of worship. We spoke to Mr. Musa Sattar about the electric eel and the flawlessness in nature. Mr. Sermad Navi talking about Hajj. And then lastly, speaking to Mr. Omar Jiasi from Ghana talking about efforts uh, that the Review of Religions and the impact that the Review of Religions is making in Ghana. From all of us here on the Review of Religions program. Until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.